Welcome to the very first episode of Here Birdie Birdie Birdie. This is Inez de Tucson, and in this episode, I'm going to review my trip to Portal, Arizona this past weekend and fill you in on some of the best places, some not in the guidebooks, where we found good birds. We're also going to look at the good birds that we found this weekend. First, I'd like to start out by reviewing the place where we stayed, the Bar Four Cottages, which is just outside of Rodeo, New Mexico, if you're familiar with the Portal area. If you're traveling from Tucson, Arizona, as I was, to get to Portal, you will need to go east on Route 10 into New Mexico, about five miles into New Mexico, where you take a southward turn, go about 30 miles to the town of Rodeo, New Mexico. In Rodeo, then you turn back west to get to Portal. So somewhere between Rodeo, New Mexico, and Portal, Arizona, as the Bar Four Cottages. It's a working ranch. There are two cottages, one called Hacienda and the other called Apache. And we stayed in Apache. It is a two-room little cottage. It's very, very cute. Two twin beds in the front room. So you've got a nice little kitchenette there. It's got a refrigerator, sink, pots, pans, stove, four burner stove, and microwave, dishes, everything we could need. In the back room is the bathroom and a queen size bed, I believe it was, with a sliding door to go back into a patio where you're just exactly facing the bird feeders that are there. We saw a lot of brewer's blackbirds. And one morning we had two yellow-headed blackbirds, which was really cool. One was a male, one looked like a juvenile uh, coming into his spring plumage. So that was really cool. Also in the area around there, curved-billed thrasher, canyon towhee, and uh, of course house finches. So I got there right around noontime, actually, and wasn't time to check into Bar Four Cottages as yet. So my birding pal and I went to downtown Portal and checked out the feeders on this main street. So Portal, Arizona is in Cochise County, and it is on the east side of the Chiricahua Mountains. It is an extremely popular place for birding in south, southeastern Arizona. According to information gathered from the 2019 American Community Survey, Portal, Arizona has a population of 788 people, which I find to be really amazing. They must be spread out far and wide. The downtown is about a city block and Everybody there, it, though, is just absolutely amazing. They're mostly birders and very, very welcoming. Many people have bird feeders out in their front yard. They'll come out and they'll talk bird with you, which is really cool. So one house that we happened upon, they it's kind of a funny story my birding partner and i stuck by one house and they had benches out that you could just sit there and and watch the birds in the guy's yard and he most people have like a little seed jar there that you can donate money so take some small bills with you if you go and i was telling my birding partner because we were watching a raven 
there that was hopping around. And I was telling my birding partner how my daughter recently got into birding and she had a crow come to her house, uh, start hanging around and she feeds him peanuts and his name is Roy. And last year, Roy found a partner. They had babies. So now she's got this whole family of crows and she feeds them peanuts and his name is Roy. So as we're discussing this, the owner comes out of the house and he has something that to me looked like peanuts. He threw it on the ground and the raven kind of came hopping over. My birding partner said, oh, what's his name? And the guy who owns the house said, his name is Ray Ray and he lost his herd. Yeah, maybe they'll come back tonight and get him. I'm, I'm hoping they'll come back. But he seems to be doing okay. And we kind of looked at each other like, okay, but why wouldn't a raven just fly to its herd? Did he call it a herd of ravens? That's weird. The guy goes back in, closes the door, and out of the stones in this stony bird bath that he has, comes this tiny baby javelina and we looked at each other and we're like oh he was talking about the javelina not about the raven so that was it was very funny what little javelina's name is ray ray and ray ray's mom and dad kind of left him there in the yard they the herd comes through every morning and evening so we went back the next day to see if Ray Ray was still there and because uh, it was very cold that that night. He had still been there in the morning. They hadn't picked him up at night. They, the herd came through in the morning and Ray Ray you know, was in the garage and the guy had to kind of push him out into the herd. But he left then with the herd. So we were glad that was a, that was a good ending to that story. After we left downtown Portal, we drove over to Cave Creek. It was getting kind of late in the day, and we drove over to Cave Creek Ranch, where they have feeders set up. And we weren't really sure, because it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, if that was going to be a good time to go to the feeders. But we went anyway, and there's a $5 suggested donation there. So again, make sure you have small bills with you. We were sitting there and Little Hummingbird comes up and it's a blue-throated mountain gem. That guy's a resident there. He was beautiful. We got gorgeous pictures because as the we were there about two, two and a half hours and as the light started to shift toward the west and it would catch on his jewel blue throat. I mean, this is like sapphire blue. Is just beautiful and he was protecting his two feeders and just kind of hung out he would let the other mountain gem take drinks out of the feeder I guess that was his partner that was pretty cool boy what else did we see there man there's lots of stuff Cassin's finches were there there are a few Cassin's finches there were uh, paraloxia, lots of house finches, lots and lots of white crown sparrows. You just really couldn't get away from white crown sparrows the whole weekend. But the paraloxias were really great. There were a pair of them there. Maybe sometime I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about those. We were there for quite a while and a young man came up. His name was James. He's one of the birding guides there and he was just kind of hanging out and talking with us and he's like oh is there anything you want to see and 
we were like, well, we really want to see Crystal Thrasher and Montezuma Quail. So he's like, well, you picked the hard ones. Yeah, yeah, we picked the hard ones because that's why we were there. If you want to eat birds, you can go home. But he said he recommended Rodriguez's backyard, which is back a little bit toward Portal and then just up north a little bit. And we said, well, we'd also like to see Inca Dove. And he said, oh, Inca Dove over there in the parking lot. So, you know, ask and you shall receive. It was great timing for the Inca Doves. There were about half a dozen of them there. Those guys, if you're familiar with the morning dove, they're quite a bit smaller and they have beautiful markings on them. So look those up in your bird guide, Inca Dove. The next morning, we decided that we were going to take kind of a loop. You can go from Portal up into the mountains to Rustler Park. You could actually go over the mountain and down back to the highway or to the Chiricahua National Monument. There's a whole west side of the Chiricahuas that we didn't get to. What we did was we went kind of north towards San Simon uh, on a dirt road to Paradise and then up to Rustler Park, and then back down a southern route back to Portal. So we did a very big trip. It was lots and lots of dirt road driving with very few birds, like in between the birdie parts. And the birdie parts were at the feeders for the most part. So let's talk about the Rodriguez's backyard. We passed it once it's, it's just after the wash when you make a, a left turn out of portal so it's just after the wash there it used to be called dave jasper's place but apparently dave jasper sold it to the rodriguez gentleman he's got a little teeny tiny little parking lot uh, maybe you could probably fit three or four cars in there so you want to be really sensitive about parking in his driveway and then there's a a little gate that you go through and down a pass past the past the woodshed and boy it opens up into a little clearing there that has feeders there were a ton of gambles quail that day I, I'll bet there were 50 or 60 of them and they just kept running out pecking on the ground and then they'd run back in at the slightest little movement they'd all just disappear in a flash and then they'd come back and then they'd disappear again there was also a magnificent cardinal a male cardinal who was singing and i've never seen this but there were literally three female cardinals in the trees around him they were all checking this guy out and he was fabulously red and just singing at the top of his lungs but the bird that we were really there to see was the crystal thrasher and that's kind of a specialty bird for that area using pete dunn's essential field guide companion as a reference crystal thrasher toxostoma chrysale dunn calls it a bow-billed thrasher of the desert wash it's a permanent resident limited to the southwest from southeastern California, southern Nevada, and the extreme southwest Utah, south and east across the southern half of Arizona and New Mexico, and into West Texas, 
and then south into Mexico, so just that southwestern part of our country. Over most of its range, it's an obligate riparian species, and I didn't know what riparian meant when I moved to Tucson, but I uh, quickly learned that it is the green growth that grows up near washes, uh, where little streams or creeks or even underground water is found. So, you know, in this vast brownness of the desert, you have you know, kind of running areas of green, like bends and rivulets of green parts. So that's a riparian area. So that's where you're going to find uh, the crystal thrasher in riparian areas and also found in more open desert brush and on grassy pinyon juniper hillsides. So it's going to be in desert washes where you might find other species like verdant, black-tailed gnatcatcher, curved-billed thrasher, abert's towhee, and in those pinyon juniper grassy hillsides you may find it with spotted towhee. So the crystal thrasher is a large, dark, brownish-gray, overall very plain thrasher. It's best identified by its size, which is larger than a curved bill thrasher, but not that much. Like I guess if you held them both in your hand, you could you could see that that was bigger. But without that perspective, I found it you know not very easy to tell that it was bigger from a curved bill thrasher. It has a long and decidedly bowed bill. When you look at the bill of the curved bill thrasher, it is less of a arc than the crystal thrasher. The crystal thrasher has a longer bill and I think a higher arch it seems to me in the in the bill. Dunn says where proximity and light conditions are favorable the dark chestnut colored undertail stands out. In fact it might even peek out around the base of the tail when the bird presents a dorsal view. The eye is small, beady, and difficult to see. The eye of the curved bill thrasher stands out. The dark malar stripe also helps distinguish crystal from the more common and habitat eclectic curved bill. So that malar stripe that Mr. Dunn is talking about is on a bird. The malar is between the back of the neck and the throat. And so that kind of side marking there is malar stripe. And the crystal thrasher has a black malar stripe and it's bordered on both sides by white. Crystal is found where the trees get slightly taller and the brush denser. For example, around arroyos or abandoned structures or corrals that ha are surrounded by shrubby thickets. It's the bird's shy, cryptic, and ground foraging. So even though it's found in places where the brushes are higher, don't look for it at the top of the trees. You're gonna look for it at the, on the, at the ground level. Singing males poised high in the branches of the mesquite or juniper give most birders their only view of the species. When approached, crystal typically dives or branch hops for the ground where it makes its escape on foot. It runs, walks, and hops and forages by digging in the leaf litter, probing at the base of grasses and shrubs. Its foraging efforts may take it to into the open but it's never far from cover and that is exactly what we saw in Rodriguez's yard uh, the bird was we heard it before we saw it and 
it was down low on the ground and it would come out onto the path a little bit and then scurry back underneath the branches of the brush. Mr. Dunn, as usual, is quite right on here. Its flight is straight, low, reluctant, effortful, and brief. The wings move with a fluttering steadiness and the tail is slightly spread. It sets his wings and glides before landing. Its vocalizations are typical thrasher, a series of doubled or tripled notes, phrases, but this one is utters it very softly, unlike your brown thrasher or your curve-bill thrasher, which will, you know, be up in the top of the tree and singing a heart out. Nope, this guy almost murmurs his song, so it's as if he's trying not to be heard. And that's how Mr. Rodriguez told us we would know it was there. He said, I'm going to be working around here, so if I hear it, I'm going to, I'll come on over and tell you that I hear it around. And so I heard a curve bill, and then I saw a thrasher, and we stalked it down a little bit and saw that it was the crystal thrasher. And then we looked up, and Mr. Rodriguez was there, and he, he had come to tell us that he heard it. Finally, the crystal thrasher is structurally similar to the slightly browner, more salmon-washed California thrasher, but their ranges don't overlap. So you won't find crystal thrasher where you're going to find California thrasher. Lacante's thrasher is also similar in size and proportion to the crystal thrasher. Their habitat does overlap in some places, but you want to look for that crystal thrasher where the scrub is lower and uh, it's just a dry, open desert. That's where you're going to find that guy. So, yeah, that about does it for the Crystal Thrasher. So, after we left Rodriguez's backyard, which is, to call that a backyard, is just amazing. We drove the northern route, as I said. And the first part of that northern route is really just desert scrub. It was kind of cold, so we didn't have the windows down in the car. I think we were a little early being there in the first week of March. I think we were a little early for most of the birds. We did eventually enter paradise, and I'm always a little conflicted about whether it actually is paradise or not. A little town is basically just, I think, a crossroads of two dirt roads. Paradise, Arizona is actually a ghost town in Cochise County. It was first settled in 1901 in what was then Arizona Territory. And in the last population statistics from 2011 showed that there were a total population of five, which seems amazingly low for, for what I was thinking, but could be. Let's see, the post office was established on October 23rd, 1901, and at its peak, the town had saloons, general stores, a jail, and a essentially abandoned when the local mines failed and the post office closed on September 30th, 1943. A few residents remained. In June 2011, there were five permanent residents and 29 standing structures when the horseshoe fire swept through the area. What they neglected to mention here is the Paradise Cemetery, which David and I visited on Sunday on our way home. Best attraction for me there was the George Walker House, and that is run by Jackie Lewis. 
who we met, very nice woman there. She had just gotten back from a trip the evening before and hadn't really filled up most of the bird feeders, but we still saw a lot of good birds there, including the Arizona woodpecker, Cassin's finch, yellow-eyed junco, all three forms of dark-eyed junco that are found in the area. Lots of acorn woodpeckers. You could not get away from acorn woodpeckers or white crown sparrows. So then from there, we drove a couple of miles up to Rustler Park, and that really was probably the most sad part of the weekend. In 2011, in June, the Horseshoe 2 fire swept through that area. I believe that fire began in Horseshoe Canyon on uh, May 8th, 2011, started by human activity. If I can tell you a story of when I was in Rustler Park about 2008, 2009, maybe even as late as 20. We camped up there for the weekend. I think we were staying an extra day. I don't really know, but the people that were in the campsite across the dirt road from us had just, you know, Sunday morning, they left camp and they left their fire. I mean, it was ashes, but the wind came by and brought it up to flames. I mean, they didn't even pour water on it. And so I went over and I put that fire out out, out. But it's that lack of awareness that, you know, if you have embers in your campfire, a little bit of wind will stir that up and those flames were high. So it's easy to see how these fires get started. Folks, please put out your campfires before you leave. I mean, just drown them, drown them, drown them. The air is so dry before the next camper gets there, it will dry out, but you need to make sure that your fire is out. So anyway, the Horseshoe 2 fire just ravaged Rustler Park. There's no other way to describe it. It's That was in 2011, that's 10 years ago. And that is still not back to where it was. I remember it as a very tiny, mountainous, cool place. We were there in the middle of summer, or late summer, I guess it was like around Labor Day. And there's just no trees. There's dumps of trees. There's little tiny seedlings coming up, but that area is absolutely decimated. That fire burned over 9,000 acres on the first day, and it was contained in the end of June, June 25th. It had burned 222,954 acres. So sad. There's, there's just lots of evidence of that burn still 10 years later was hoping to see Montezuma quail up in that area. Did not see any birds. There were a few western bluebirds in Rustler Park. A few acorn woodpeckers. But went over to Barfoot, which is only a mile and a half or two miles away, and saw nothing. Very sad. But at your campfires, destroys trees, birds, plants, animals. So on to uh, get out of this gloom and doom. The next day was Saturday, and we had heard rumors that there was an American Dipper at Herb Martyr Campground, uh, which is it's a little bit lower than Rustler Park. Rustler Park is at the top of the Chiricahua Mountains. So this was a, maybe about midway. But first, we drove over to Rodeo because we wanted 
to look for Ben Dyer's Thrasher. Now that we had Crystal Thrasher, Ben Dyer was next on the list. Ben Dyer's Thrasher is smaller than the Crystal Thrasher, and it has, doesn't have a curved beak. It has kind of a straightish beak. So it would be easy to tell. So we drove over to Rodeo. And in Rodeo is this great little, it's, it's actually called the Little Bird Walk or the Little Bird Path. If you turn at the sign for the post office, there's a post office and then the Baptist Church and is right next to the Baptist Church at 2nd and Custy. In there, we tried that place for two days, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, looking for Ben Dyer's Thrasher, looking for Crystal Thrasher, even maybe looking for Sage Thrasher, but didn't find anything. It was very, very windy. I mean, and cold to the point where you don't, I didn't even want to be out. I didn't have, I just didn't have enough clothing, but it was sunny. And we looked over into the mountains on Saturday and we saw that like, it's raining over there. Huh, it's raining. It's just the one little spot in that in that like canyon mountain area. So we drove back State Line Road, which is again a dirt road and that follows the Arizona New Mexico state line. So if you're driving on that and you're birding, you can have Arizona birds on one side and New Mexico birds on the other side, which is really cool. So but you have to like almost keep two separate lists so that you can put them in the right state, of course. What did we see there? Oh, we saw a couple of red-tailed hawks and some Cooper's hawks and a little flock, little 20 to 30 lark buntings. And some of them are getting their spring plumage. Now, a lark bunting is a small little bird, kind of like sparrow size. And in the spring, the males are black with a white wing patch. But the rest of the year, they just look kind of drab. But you can still see a white wing patch on them. That's kind of their distinctive mark. But some of these guys were turning black. Not all the white, but they were turning black and had their white wing patch. And it's very, very dramatic. From State Line Road, we headed up toward Herb Martyr Campground, where we had heard rumors of an American Dipper, but that's the subject of a different podcast. Before I go, I just want to make mention of one more delight in the portal area. This isn't a paid announcement, but I just loved it so much. I highly recommend it. If you're looking for somewhere to eat between Rodeo and Portal, there's a great little cafe called Sky Island Cafe. And um, we got dinner there one night, and surprisingly, here we are in the middle of nowhere, Arizona and New Mexico. They had veggie burgers. They had, not only did they have veggie burgers, but they had black bean burgers, and they had uh, tofu heroes. So I had a choice as a, as a vegan. I had a choice of what I could eat, which was wonderful. And the french fries were really, really good. So that's it. That's my first podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe so that you get new episodes. And if not, be sure to check back as I'll be playing around with different episode formats and we'll certainly be learning and improving over time. Until next time, stay nerdy and birdie, my friends. Mm-hmm.